Agents Podcast. Today's podcast is brought to you by Power ISA, the industry experts in real estate ISAs. Get more appointments. Make sure your follow-up gets done on time and you get the most out of your leads. Get a great ISA for real estate on your team and watch the results roll in. Power ISA has served over 1,200 agents in the U.S. and Canada since 2015, and it's the one-stop shop for everything you need to get a great inside sales agent on your team. Whether it's setting appointments with your internet leads or making outbound prospecting calls to help you get more listings, Power ISA can get it done for you. Visit PowerISA.com forward slash LCA to get started. That's PowerISA.com forward slash LCA. I love this line. Knowledge equals confidence. Ignorance equals fear. And, you know, we don't talk enough nowadays about, well, when I say we don't talk about, we don't talk about on the podcast enough nowadays about what's happening in our industry and the shift that is happening and the potential fear that a lot of you are facing as we head into uncharted waters for many of you, because you haven't experienced this. You didn't experience those 708. And today we're bringing on a guest. His name is Aaron Novello out of Southeast Florida. He has successfully grown a team. He's grown multiple business outside of real estate that kind of lean back on real estate that we're going to talk about. Uh, but he's doing this successfully and he's done it through multiple shifts. And he's going to share his experience with you today. He's done over a hundred transactions a year for a very long time. I'll let him give you the exact numbers there. And he's done over 200 twice and he is continuing to maintain that pace. Aaron, welcome to the show. I'm really excited to have some good conversation with you today. Yeah, brother. I really appreciate the opportunity to be here with you and share with the audience and in hopes that we can share with them something that would be helpful or useful. I have no doubt. So let's start with this, though. Let's assume nobody knows who the hell you are. Maybe if they were uh, in the KW family, because you spent a lot of time there, they might know who you are. Uh, but tell us who you are. What, what, when did you get started in real estate and kind of what led you to where you are today? Tell us your story. Yeah. So, and I appreciate, uh, again, the opportunity to do so. So I um, got started in residential resale in 2006. Uh, my family of origin are people that are very kind and good people uh, doing the best they can under the given set of circumstances and the information that they had at their disposal, didn't really have any money. And I made a decision as a young person that I didn't know what the way it was, but I was either gonna find the way or make the way because I didn't want that to be my experience in life. And because of that, I obsessively read books about wealth and they had a tendency to gravitate towards real estate, right? So I figured what better way to learn about the investment vehicle of real estate than to go out and get my license and help people buy and sell. So during my last semester at the University of Florida, I only had nine credits. So it was pretty light. So I got my real estate license and started to you know, help people transact. And in 2007, I was on my way to do about 50 deals on track to, to do that. And my mom actually had a brain bleed. So at 47 years old. So what I did is I shut down my business instantaneously gave away all the listings, rented out the property that I owned at the time, six blocks from UF. And I moved back home and started over from scratch. And what was interesting is that, you know, I would have preferred that that not happened, you know, to my mom. At the same time, I always had a desire that I wanted to be world-class at this game, like Michael Jordan, Olympic level. And what I'm aware of is it's kind of in a way as though the universe conspired to be like, okay, you want to be really good at this. What I'm going to do is pick you up from a geographic area put you back down in an area where you have to start over from scratch. And on top of that, I'm going to give you an exceptionally challenging environment because we all know what happened in 2007, eight, nine, right? Where everything imploded. So we went from an environment, Jeff, in which if I didn't say anything stupid, I showed up moderately well-dressed, I could make money. I could make like, you know, six figures. And I believe that that's the environment that we just came out of over the last 24 months. And we have a whole generation of agents that have never experienced headwinds, tailwinds. They've never experienced shifts in markets. So when, when that transpired, I realized very quickly that when times get tough, only the skilled get paid, period, end of story. Yeah. So I realized like, wow, I got to really skill up on listing property, the pricing portion, listing presentation. I got to skill up on presenting offers that are less than ask, which is already starting to happen. I'm going to have to get really good at pre-qualifying for actual life events 
right? Not people saying like, hey, it would be nice if I get a bigger pool, but like they have to actually do something. Otherwise, they're not going to be willing to do what it takes in order to accomplish their goals in the environment. So I systematically and obsessively went about acquiring those skills, like role play twice a day, six days a week, hand wrote out scripts, chanted, videotaped myself. And what that allowed me to do is while everything else was imploding and contracting, I grew my business by 25% year over year. And at the end of that five-year time frame, I got spit out the other end of somebody who could list 100 properties a year, one at a time, no REOs, no short sales. And then when the marketplace got better, a rising tide lifts all ships. It took me to 200, right? So I know emphatically that with the right mindset and the right skills, that any environment, and particularly an environment that contracts, it's actually like a massive opportunity to gain market share and to demonstrate your ability to be able to help people at a much higher level than others. Because I've been telling coaching clients lately, hey, when everything's shining bright, when everything's bright, you can't tell who's shining really, really bright. Mm -hmm. But when it gets dark, brother, you could see who's shining really bright, right? So I tell people like, look, I'm built for this, right? Like I am absolutely built for this. And, uh, you know, I, I, I in, in embrace it. Dude, that's uh, that's some some good little statements. Those are some good tweets right there. I love what you just did. Not to digress there, so let's talk about that was that was broad. Okay, you you but but I love it because you experienced what a lot of real estate agents in today's world haven't experienced, which was 07 and 08, uh, which was a different time. And, and you also mentioned, you know, like it's it's been easy street. But I think most agents would say, oh, his, it hasn't been easy, Aaron. I mean, it's there's no inventory. It's impossible. But correct me if I'm wrong, but my, my opinion is a lack of inventory is actually a great problem to have because it tells you that there's a plethora of buyers that want to buy those homes and try reversing it and having too much inventory and not enough buyers, which one's hard. So kind of talk through, let's talk through the, the difficulty that I think people don't even understand that exists. And then I want to get deeper into how they can navigate that because I think this is something that people need as they go forward. A hundred percent. So I think that, you know, the current environment, uh, that we just came out of. And again, because I have the good fortune of not only still being in the field and actively selling real estate, uh, I'm also on the sidelines coaching and training others who do so, right? Like eight people that we coach do over uh, seven figures a year. So what I've noticed is, is over the last 24 months, the challenge has been more like from an emotional perspective, because there's been a lot of pent up anxiety from buyers, a fear of missing out. Right. And what that results in is people calling you five minutes after sending you an offer. Like, did you get my offer? They're calling your broker, trying to complain and things of that nature. Right. And then you have sellers where there's two emotions that dominate any market. One is fear, but the other is greed. And they have been exceptionally greedy over the last 12 months mm -hmm. and then 18, maybe 24 months. And what I've been saying to coaching clients is like, how many of you guys have children or been around children before? They're like, yeah. All right. And let's say there's a two-year-old and they have a lollipop. And they're loving life. Everything's great. And then somebody comes in and rips a lollipop out of their mouth. How are they going to respond to that? And they're usually going to respond. They're like, well, they'll cry. I'm like, they're going to do more than cry, bro. They're going to get on the floor, throw a temper tantrum. It's going to be a whole thing, right? So, so what I'm aware of is for the last 12 to 18 months, sellers have been able to be unreasonable, right? Been able to be stubborn, been able to be, you know, aggressive in terms of like looking out for their best interest. And they've, the marketplace has rewarded them for that. Yeah. So now we're going into a complete different environment in which their expectations are not going to be being met. And who do you think that they're probably going to point the finger towards? It's probably us, right? So I think that the current environment that we're coming out of has its own challenges. At the same time, the other end of the coin is I try to tell people like, hey, I remember if a home was on the market for 110 days and you got an offer, that was like, you were pumped. Like, that's cool. I remember keeping track on my little chart of not only appointments set, appointments went on, listing agreements taken, and price adjustments. I used to have to take 10 price reductions a month just to move inventory. So I'd be carrying 15 to 20 listings at any given time, and I'd have to have that conversation over and over and over. And I don't know about you, Jeff, people typically, they're not like, hey, bro, I like that hat. You're a super cool guy. Let's go ahead and lower the price 50 grand. Like, no, that is not what happens, right? So that's very much so a skilled conversation. So I think that, you know, they each have their own challenges at the same time, I think one of the main differences has been skill because when everybody wants to buy, 
you know, everybody's making offers that are over asking. Everybody's, you know, sellers or people are paying above the praise value. You know, that's not an environment that's A, sustainable, but B, that requires that much skill. At the same time, though, when things contract, people's expectations aren't being met. Let's say you have a seller that's caught in an overconfidence loop and they're convinced that they're going to be able to get this amount. And they say, hey, Jeff, my neighbor four months ago, they got this. How come I can't get this? Mm-hmm. Well, how do you have that conversation? How do you help them to break that overconfidence loop and self-discover that through no fault of their own or yours, dynamics have changed and that price is actually a snapshot in time. So what I'd like to do, Jeff, is go over with you three major factors in the marketplace that are beginning to shift and change in hopes that doing so can help, can help you to see why your neighbor had a different experience than perhaps we're going to have. Would that be okay? Hell yes. And they're like, yeah, that's cool. But then I got to know what those changes are, right? It's like, yeah, interest rates have gone up faster in the last 60 days than they have in the last 30 years. Hmm. Were you aware of that, Mr. Mrs. Seller? They're like, no, I didn't know that. Like, yeah. And I don't know if you know this, what that means to you as a seller is a buyer who was approved at 800 at the beginning of January is now approved at 650. Did you know that? No, I didn't know that. Now you tell me, Jeff, how do you feel that that would affect the pool of prospective buyers for your home? Notice they're telling me, I'm not going in there pounding my chest like, oh, like, you know, I know, and don't you know who I am? And I'm the best. And they're like, well, yeah, like, I guess that would shrink the pool of prospective buyers. Exactly. And then the second main factor that we're seeing, I don't know if you've heard or read about this, we have 40 year high inflation. Did you know that? Have you heard about that? Have you felt it at the pump? And they're like, well, yeah. And I don't know if you know that, but that 8% number, that doesn't include housing or gas. Did you know that? And they're like, no, I had no idea. It's like, yeah. And if it included housing and gas, I'm curious, Jeff, do you think that number would be higher than 8%? Probably would. And then the third red flashing light that we're seeing from an economic perspective is that the stock market's lost 5,000 points in a month. Now, you tell me, Jeff, does that seem like an environment in which economically we're expanding and prices are going up exponentially? Or does it seem like an environment in which we are beginning to pump the brakes economically and things are starting to contract? Now, notice me doing that helps you to self-discover how your experience is perhaps going to be different than what your neighbor did three or four months ago. So this is why I would say that this market, the market we just came out of has its own challenges. This market, though, is very much so about skill. And if any listener or anybody who's listening to this really pound into your brain that when times get tough, only the skilled get paid. And the skills that I need to get really good at is self-discovery around price. I need to get really good at price adjustments, helping people self-discover that their expectations aren't realistic in the current market. I need to get good at negotiating offers that are less than ask. I have a guy, Coach Jeff, he does 2.4 million a year in GCI. He called me. He's like, bro, I got an offer $80,000 below ask. Can we role play this? So he has that skill, but it's dusty. (laughs) He hasn't had to use it in a long time. So that particular skill, right? helping people self-discover and letting them know like, look, whatever you decide to do, I'll support you hundred percent. So we have a few options that are at our disposal and we'll review them together as a team. So that way you can decide what you feel is best for you and your family. Would that be okay? Like that's a skill, right? And pre-qualifying and things of that nature. So that's how I would say those two are different. Let, let me, uh, let me carry on this conversation. Cause I want to, I want to challenge you. Let's, let's role play a little bit here. Let's, let's continue the conversation. So you drop these gems on, you know, Mr. and Mrs. Seller yep. uh, who want to overprice their home because of course, you know, that's what everybody else is doing. Uh, so Aaron, as, as the seller, you know, there's this other agent down the street with XYZ Realty that said, They'll, they'll they'll list it for that price. So yeah. I mean, I I believe everything you're saying, but Sally down the street says they'll list it for that. So why would I understand? Yeah, and and I certainly see where you're coming from. I can understand Jeff why that can be confusing, right? I know as a consumer, you have not only agents telling you different things, you also have these online sites that give estimates of value, yeah. giving you information, and I know that can be confusing. So I guess I'm wondering, Jeff, and again, um, whatever you decided, I'd support you 100%. I just want to make sure you're making the decision that's best for you and your family. Having looked at this information and seeing that the last closed sale, just two doors down, was at 550 a month ago. I mean, honestly, does it seem like a realistic expectation that a month later, somebody would pay you $80,000 more? That's, uh, well, I mean, do you want me to continue to role play this? Yeah, let's do it. Okay, all right. Um, well, I mean, again, 
you know, uh, it's, it's, I, I think my house is, is definitely nicer than the house that was two doors down. I mean, you can just tell by the, the front landscaping, right? You can tell uh, by the color of my front door, uh, I'm going to sell for more than they are. Yeah. And I appreciate that. And trust me, I'm right there with you. I'd love to be your superhero, put an S on my chest and cape on my back and get you $80,000 more. At the same time, my experience is, is that I know that the seller's hat is very much so different than the buyer's hat. So let's imagine for a moment that you and your wife were buyers, right? And you were going to buy this home all over again. And you asked me to look at the same data and information that we're looking at now, because you want to make sure you're making an offer that's in alignment with market conditions. Also, what I'm aware of is as a buyer, your payment has just gone up $600 a month because interest rates have gone up. Okay. So if we put ourselves in that frame of reference as a buyer, if you personally were going to buy this home all over again, and you know, the last close sale was at 550, I mean, honestly, where do you think you would make an offer that you believe would be reflective of fair market value? I love that reverse psychology. That's awesome. So you mentioned, you know, rates have gone up. They haven't gone up this fast in 30 years. It was just four or five months ago that they were selling for so much more. I mean, it's the market's going to change back. I mean, that's all we know. I mean, rates are going to go back into the twos. So I'll, maybe, maybe I'll just hold out for, you know, six months and, you know, price will go back up. And that's okay. And look, I'm here to help you. I'm never here to talk you into doing anything. So what I'd like to do is just ask you a couple questions in hopes that doing so can clarify, you know, the situation for you and you can decide what you feel is best. And again, whatever you decide, I'll support you. Okay. So my first question is, Jeff, is it an option for you to not sell this home and still move, like still accomplish your goals and objectives? Well, we were wanting to sell the home because we felt like the opportunity was perfect to maximize the dollar that we could gain from the sale. I understand. And then let's say, well, let me ask you this. Is it an option for you to not sell the home and rent the property and still accomplish your goals and objectives? So you're saying I would keep the property and now rent it. Well, I'm going to need... I'm going to need the proceeds from the sale to put down on the next home, unless you can find me a loan where I don't have to do that, of course. Yeah, I understand. Okay, so in order really to accomplish what you want, it requires that we sell the property. And let's say for a moment that we do sell it and then ultimately extract the capital. Tell me specifically, how would your life improve if you bought that new home? Well, I mean, we want to get the hell out of this area, you know? I mean, it's going to hell in a handbag. So it's, it's going to improve dramatically. That's why we want to get out of here. Okay. And then when you say improve dramatically, tell me a little bit more about that. Like specifically, how would your life get better? Is it better schools for your kids? Is it more space? Like what is it specifically? No, it's in this case, you know, our kids are getting a little bit older. So, and there's just too many damn kids running around this neighborhood. And so, you know, we want to go to a quieter area. We want to, we want to slow down a little bit. And so that's really got a lot to do with it. I understand. So, and tell me this, Jeff, at this stage in your life, how valuable is that for you and your family, that change of pace, change of scenery? All right, I'll hire you, damn it. <laughs> well, and then where we go from there is like, look, we have a choice to make and the choice is yours. We can either A, not sell the property now because perhaps your expectation is a little bit different than market conditions. Cross our fingers and hope and wish and pray that all these red flashing lights that are showing us the economic dynamic is changing. And then you potentially have to stay in this environment that you don't feel comfortable in for the next 18, 24 months and see what happens. The second option is, is you you know, anticipate instead of react, because that's what leaders do. They anticipate instead of react. You look at these market dynamics, we put on a market, extract the capital, and then, you know, you provide for your family in the way that you want and you get out of this environment and, you know, you have a home that you feel more comfortable in. So my question to you is, is based on what you're looking to accomplish and why, based on the economic data that we're looking at and based on what you value most, Jeff, at this stage in your life, what do you think we should do? Yeah, and I, you know, the thing that, that I want to kind of, rewind for everybody listening to this is, you know, this is the skill, right? This is the, when times get tough, only the skill get paid. And as you're listening to this and you're listening to somebody like an Aaron spout this stuff off, what are you thinking? You know? And so Aaron, I kind of want to, I want to talk a little bit about that psychology with, with agents because what you just did takes tons of practice, right? You coach people on this. Now you're eloquent. You can fire these things off. But the reality is, uh, you know, podcast listener, AKA real estate agent, if you're not equipped with the same skills, that's what your competition looks like potentially. 
And that, that's going to put you out of business, right? I mean, you, you're going to lose opportunities. And so, Aaron, what are, you, what are you saying to the person that's listening to this on the other end and thinking to themselves, crap? Um, yeah, a, a couple of things come up for me. First is that you get rewarded in public for what you spend countless hours doing in private. So somebody might listen to what we're doing in this role play and be like, gosh, wow, I can promise you this. Nobody sprinkled like magic fairy dust on me to be able to do that. Right. So as I shared with you at the beginning of my career, I made a decision that my skill was never going to be a reason that I wasn't able to take advantage of an opportunity because in this business, there are, there is no security. There's only opportunities. And if I can get my skill to such a degree that if an opportunity presents itself, there's an 80 to 90% chance I can capitalize on that opportunity, then I've created security for myself and my family. And I personally feel like it's my duty and obligation to protect my family. And the way you do that in the current environment used to be 500 years ago with muscle. I would have a problem if that was the case. Now it's economically, right? So um, I feel like it's my duty and obligation. And then what I did was, is once I recognized that the money's not in the service, it's in the selling of the service. So it doesn't mean we give people crappy service. They expect good service. They expect you to know about contracts. They expect you to pick up the phone. They expect you to you know, work in their best interest. Kind of like when you go to the grocery store, you don't freak out when they have groceries. You're not like, yeah, man, you guys have groceries. Like, no, that's an expectation, right? But that's not where the money is. The money's in the selling of the service. So when I ask people, I'm like, hey, what's your competitive advantage? And they're like, well, I'm honest. And I'm like, okay. Like everybody will say that. Or like, I put my clients first, Jeff. I'm like, okay. <laughs> but like Jack Welsh said, if you don't have a competitive advantage, don't compete. And I wanted my competitive advantage to be skill. Like nobody would outskill me. So what I did was, is I alluded to it before, is that I role played twice a day, six days a week for 30 minutes each time. And I also sought out role play partners because you play to the level that you practice. Like, I don't know if people realize this, you know, but like I thought was very interesting is that Serena Williams, her person that she practices with is a male. And I find that fascinating. And it's not a gendered thing. It's not a sexist thing. It's just like, you know, genetically, biologically, she's probably not going to go against a woman that's going to hit as hard. But that's who she practices against, right? Smart so you know what that is. Yeah. yeah, you play to the level that you practice. So here I was doing 50 deals and I'm role playing with people doing 200. Where you're getting on the phone, literally like shaking in your boots. Like, ah, I'm more nervous to get on the phone with this person than I am actually making calls, right? So I just made a, a, a very stern, unflexible commitment to skill that that was never, I was, I never wanted to look at my wife and be like, Hey, we can't go on that trip. Cause I didn't know, I didn't know how to handle. I need to think about it. Oh, I never wanted to go like where my son, I'm like, Hey man, we can't go to that football game because daddy didn't know how to handle the commission objection. Like that was just never going to be a reason why I wasn't able to, you know, provide for the people that I love and care about. So I would just suggest to people that it's, it's totally a skill that's acquirable. Uh, it does require a certain level of obsession and discipline. Mm -hmm. uh, at the same time, it's not, you know, it's not something that's reserved for only certain members of the population. It's reserved for those that deserve it because nature doesn't reward need, it rewards deserve. So a lot of, you know, I don't know, a lot of animals in the animal kingdom need to eat, but which ones get to eat? Yeah. The ones that deserve it, the ones that do the hunting all day long, the ones that chased after the gazelle for a mile and they didn't get one and then they started hunting again, right? So, you know, it's, an, it's a skill that everybody can acquire. It's a multidimensional, multifaceted one, but just like anything else, because it's a skill that implies practice. So we've talked a lot about, you know, this, the selling side and winning listings. Uh, what about the agent who's sitting on the other end listening to this saying, well, I have really no desire to acquire sellers because I just don't want to have to do what you're doing, Aaron. I'm just going to keep swimming in a pool of buyers. Talk, talk to that agent. Yeah. So what I would tell that agent is you have to be very clear on what you want because our industry is rapidly changing uh, very quickly because there are sharp elbowed tech savvy multi-million dollar companies that are pushing into our space and getting in front of clients before we do. And what I'm aware of is that all the leverage is on the listing side, period, end of story, right? Um, it's where all the money is. It's whoever controls the inventory, controls the market. I promise you, if these big players, these tech companies like the Zillow's or the Redfin's can push us out and get the data, which is really listings, they would, right? And increasingly, what we're seeing is that the buy side increasingly is becoming less and less 
valued, and they're being compensated less and less to do that activity. I believe that in the future, you will either have a team, right? Or you will work for one. Because what's happening is that the competition is no longer like Sally and Susie. You're competing against multi-million dollar companies that have multi-million dollar budgets for marketing. And then you're competing with the agent in your town that spends a million dollars a year in marketing. So increasingly, that those agents that do five, 10 deals a year, it's shrinking, right? Because it's very difficult for them to compete, not only from a marketing perspective, but from a technological perspective. Because when I first got in this game, you really didn't have to know about technology in order to be able to produce at meaningful levels. Now it's not optional, it's required. Yeah. So agents are having to be like, oh, I need like this thing called a CRM and oh, I need like automation and oh, like it's, and if agents don't have that, they're not able to compete because consumers have been trained by technology and their expectations have changed. Yeah. They want information right now. They don't want you to wait, you know, 24 hours to call them back, right? Um, they want to be able to do something when they want to do it. And if you're a one-man show trying to do admin and trying to do everything else, you're not going to be able to compete with people who have systems, processes, and procedures in place. So I would just be very aware of that. And not everybody has to be like the dominant listing agent. However, that dominant listing agent provides shade. They provide safety. And the way that they do that is with data. Like I no longer think about myself as like a dominant listing agent. I think of myself as a prodigious provider of data because that's what these systems need. They need data. Otherwise they die. MLS dies. Zillow dies, Redfin dies if they don't have data and the data is listings. So if I can continue to provide this machine what it needs like oxygen to breathe, then I will continue to be disproportionately rewarded for my efforts, right? So, you know, if, if I do want to work with buyers, it's okay. It needs to be done. I would just be very intentional and purposeful about how you're doing that. I would be very clear that you need technology to help you to do that. And I would, you know, you really need like a system around it you know, around converting at higher levels. I do believe that a lot of agents have built teams around buy sides because when buy sides are like magnificently available mm -hmm. and there seems to be no shortage, that makes sense to do. As things contract though, it, it gets interesting, right? Because I know in order to build that machine, there's a lot of expenses. I know people typically don't operate from economic models. A lot of it is ego-based. I just want to like puff my chest up and say like I do 400 units, but I'm only profiting 15% profit margins. Yeah. So, you know, I think it's something that, just something to think about and be very clear on. And not, it's okay to be on a team. Like 70% of all millionaires in the United States work for somebody else. Like you don't have to like, you know, go it on your own because it's hard. You know, it's hard to build all the systems, the processes and the procedures. Where'd you get that stat from? Yeah, I mean, that's, I heard Grant Cardone say it, so I'm just taking him at, at face value. <laughs> fair, fair. Yeah. I'll do the same thing with Gary Vee, so I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll go with you on that. Okay, so let, let's go back to that buyer conversation here real fast. You answered the question to me uh, by still kind of nudging the real estate agent down. You know, almost the way I interpreted what you said was, cool, but you should become a listing agent. Yeah. Um, and, and so... But not everybody's going to feel that way. And a lot of people aren't going to feel that way because they just, I mean, what you did with me in the role play, what you did even before we role played, you know, it's, it's like, it's like shooting video, right? Most aren't going to do it. And the ones that do do it are probably going to suck at it. And there's only going to be a small percentage that actually master that skill and become really good at it. And, and it's, that's a very, parallel comparison really because that's what agents also need to be doing right but so when it comes to becoming that dominant listing agent as you the word you used and and for somebody who who just probably won't ever and and just they're just that's just their mindset and there's nothing wrong with that not everybody aspires to be you know what you have become what tips can you give to a buyer's agent to be a better buyer's agent? Yeah, great question. So one is I would have minimum standards. I think what happens is oftentimes people feel compelled. Like when you don't generate, you have to tolerate. So if I'm not generating on a regular basis and there's I don't have a lot of lead sources and I'm overly dependent on these companies whose intention is to put you out of business, <laughs> like I'm overly dependent on them sending me leads and information, it creates a lot of anxiety. And it also creates a dynamic in which you feel like you have to work with everybody. And I think having minimum standards is very important. 
meaning like price point minimum standards, meaning like levels of motivation minimum standards, meaning like, um, you know, based on my conversation with them, are they open to following the processes and the procedures that we utilize? Or are they, you know, kind of resisting that, right? And I also think being able to pre-qualify buyers at a high level is really important. So asking questions like, hey, you know, ideally in terms of what you want, because that's what's most important, how soon would you like to actually make a purchase? I know that people are at different stages in their cycle of purchasing anywhere from like, I need to buy something now to like eight months out, just so I'm clear, where are you at in that stage? You know, uh, prior to going and taking a look, you know, what I'd like to do is just ask you a series of quick questions so I can find out how I can serve you and your family best. Would that be okay? Yeah. Well, the first question I have is, have you been pre-qualified or pre-approved with a lender? And are you going to pay cash? And if you are going to pay cash, do you have proof of funds? And I'm aware that people are afraid to ask those questions, but I don't know why. When you go to the doctor, Jeff, who, who, who greets you first at the doctor's office? Does the doctor greet you? No. No. Receptionist. Receptionist. What's the first question she asks? Well, or he. Probably it's probably that is greeting me. Um, and, and then right behind that. You know, I don't uh, go to the doctor too often, so I'm not sure if I can answer that question. All right. Well, the, the question that they ask right after that is how are, are you, you insured? For, how are you going to pay for this? <laughs> okay. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Is it going to be out of pocket or is it going to be insurance? Yeah. So it's like, why do we feel uncomfortable doing that where everyone does the same thing? Yeah. Right. Yeah. So it's like, I, I think pre qualifying it. And, you know, I've only spoken to you, Jeff. I can hear in your voice that you seem to be really excited about it. I guess I'm curious are there any other decision makers? Well, yeah, my wife. Okay. And then I'm wondering, I can, I can hear that you're excited. How does she feel about purchasing a home? I'm also curious, is this the first time you're purchasing a home or have you done this before? No, it's the first time. Great. And I know that when first time home buyers buy homes, sometimes they have other people in their life who help them make that decision, whether it's, you know, parents or things of that nature. Is there anybody else that's going to be involved in this process that we should include in these conversations? What's your motive behind asking about the spouse and the other people? It's motivation. So the ideas and decision makers. So in my mind, I think about this like a, imagine like a shotgun house and there's doors and each door leads to a new room. And I don't leave one room until I'm clear on, you know, that particular room. And then I move to the next one. So the first one is motivation. So, so I'm wondering, you know, now that things have changed, market dynamics are a little different, interest rates have gone up. I guess I'm curious, Jeff, is there any particular reason that you've decided that on May 24th at 10.41 a.m. that you guys would like to proceed and purchase something? And then be quiet and they'll tell you, well, this, this, and this. Okay, is it an option for you to maybe not buy and figure out another living situation? No, we got to buy something. Okay, cool. So now I'm clear on motivation and I'm clear on why. Now I go what to the are, next. What are, you, what are you looking for or what are you not looking for? Yes. What's an answer that would turn you off? Yeah, what I'm, what I'm looking for are life events. Life events are things like death, divorce, job relocation, moving assisted living facilities. We had a baby we weren't expecting and we're in a one bedroom apartment. And we, you know what I mean? Like it's a life event that is triggering somebody because what I'm aware of is any marketplace, and particularly ones that are shifting and changing, there's friction. And in order for somebody to put up with inconvenience, because we've become a culture of comfort and convenience, 100%. Like if anything's inconvenient, we freak out, right? It takes longer than two minutes to get your coffee. You're like yelling at the manager, right? So in order to put up with inconvenience, I have to have a compelling reason. So that's why I'm interested in finding out what's the motive to take action. That's what motivation means if you break that word down, right? Mm -hmm. What's the reason that, well, that you're compelled to put up with friction, to put up with inconvenience? And if it's not strong enough, then I'm probably not going to put all my time, energy, and effort to try to help you to accomplish your goal because the probability that it's going to happen is small. Does that make sense? Interesting. Yeah. So, I, well, I was going to say, so, so what, what you're saying to that buyer's agent is, is, their their efficiency of time they're 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 optimizing their time it's not saying that you're going to vacate that buyer who doesn't have as much motivation you're just going to probably spend a little bit less time chasing that one so that now three or four months down the road you're not kicking yourself saying damn i wasted a lot of time because you didn't actually seek the motivation that's exactly right and it's if you do this up front people think that if i don't do this up front it's easier it's not true it's actually harder so when you do hard things, your life becomes easy. And when you do easy things, your life becomes hard. Right. So even though it's a little uncomfortable and people perceive it as perhaps confrontational, it's just straightforward, just like any other professional. Like, can you imagine if you went to the doctor, Jeff, and you're like, your arm, you know, God forbid you hurt your arm and you went in there and they were like, oh my God, bro, that hat, 
oh my God, I love it. Where did you get that hat? We should be like besties, bro. You're like, hey, like, asshole, my arm hurts. Yeah, dude. Right. <laughs> and that's exactly what you would say. You'd be like, hey, dude, this is cool. We can hang out later, but you got to fix this shit. Like, right. But this is, it's, it's comical that that's what we do as agents. We're so concerned about people liking us. Yeah. That like we're afraid to ask upfront questions, which is the way professionals do. Imagine you went into an attorney's office and you're in like, you got something going on that you really need help about. And he's like, hey, bro, like, what's up with those baseball bats, man? Tell me a little bit about that. That's so cool. I play baseball. You play baseball. Like, that's not what professionals do. So it's doing this up front. But again, if I don't generate, then I have to tolerate. I'm afraid that if I ask these questions, what will come to the surface is these people aren't as motivated as I thought they were. And now I got to go find somebody else. So it's just allocation of attention because we can have anything we want in life, but we can't have everything because we're limited by time. And I would say that we're even limited. It's fragmented now more by attention because we have so many things that are vying for our attention. Mm-hmm. And I meet so many agents that have good hearts that really want to like help and contribute. And what I've told people is like, listen, I have one coaching client. When I met her, she was making a hundred grand this year. She's on track for 450. And one of the things we talked about is I'm like, listen, I know you pour your heart out to people. They need to deserve it. And the way that you find out if they deserve it or not is by doing this by having minimum standards and by asking questions up front. And you only want to be dealing with eight, nines, and tens motivation. Mm -hmm. So that little shift in her perception on how to allocate time has led to an explosion, like a four X in her production level. That's good. That's good. That's, that's a great example. Do you have just one more that you could drop on, on a, um, on what a buyer's agent should be doing? Cause I, I have a feeling there's a lot of them that have not heard that, um, which I think is great. And, but I also think there's a lot of desperation that plays into the decisions that they make as well. Well, I have nothing going on right now. I need a paycheck. I'm going to grasp for straws, but the reality is you're probably going to grasp yourself out of business if you keep doing that. Yeah. Because in our business, unfortunately, you know, the statistic is within the first year of somebody getting a license, 70 to 80% of them are out. Yeah. And that's a huge attrition rate. And I think part of the reason why there's such a large attrition rate is because people aren't clear what this actually is. They think it's like HGTV. They think it's like, uh, you know, like easy peasy, one, two, three, easy. They don't understand it's a hardcore sales job. It's no different than selling books door to door, knives door to door, subscriptions over the phone, telemarketing where you're selling magazines. I did that in high school. You know what I mean? Like I'm aware that I think part of what's happening here to speak to your point about like what's going on with them mentally is we have people that don't have any business background and no sales experience getting into a direct sales business. And nobody sits them down as like, look, this is what this entails. Contacts equals contracts. You need to speak to people on a regular basis. You also need to have the skill of pre-qualifying to make sure people have the means and the motivation to actually do something. Then you have to meet with them, schedule an appointment, meet with them and give them a compelling reason to choose you versus somebody else. Then you have to go and show them property. There's a way of doing that. And how are you managing expectations? Like, hey, um, I'm really, I really don't want to waste any of your time. I know your guys' time is very valuable and ours is as well. So my intention in asking you some questions is so that way I can be as clear as possible in terms of what you are looking for. Because I know a knock on a lot of agents is they start to show you stuff that's not even in your criteria. And I think part of the reason why that's happening, Jeff, is because they didn't take the time to ask you. So what I'd like to do is ask you a series of questions So that way we can cater this experience to specifically what you want in hopes that it would make it more effective and efficient. Would that be okay? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, you're speaking my language, dude. What's up? I like to save time. All right. So tell me, like, how important is it for you to be in proximity to the schools for your kids? Super important. Okay. And tell me about the house that you're moving from, because nine times out of 10, people buy the same things. If they're like, hey, I'm moving from new construction, we're probably going to sell you a new construction home because you're probably going to buy the same thing. That's how people are. So tell me about the home that you just moved from. And what did you specifically like about that home? Because again, you're probably going to buy something that's very similar right? And I'm going to ask these questions of both parties, right? Both decision makers, Mm -hmm. right? So I'm crystal, crystal clear. And then I manage expectations. So look, because we've taken the time up front to really get clear and use this, you know, filter, if you will, I've only picked out properties that fit the precise criteria as close as possible as we can. And we're only going to look at three or four at a time, because if you, if we look at more than that, you're going to get confused. I'm going to get confused. And, you know, again, it's not efficient. So at the culmination of this time, because all of these fit the exact criteria, it wouldn't surprise me at all if you chose to purchase one of them or at least make an offer on one of them because we've done all that homework up front. 
Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. So now I'm managing expectations. Not only am I finding out from you specifically what you want and what more likely than not you're going to be interested in and purchasing, but then I'm also managing expectations as far as how this is going to go, right? Versus just like, okay, my job is just to open doors. Because here's what's true. If you're only opening doors, I can pay somebody $25 a door to do that. I think this is uh, rather eye-opening for so many real estate agents. And, and one of the things that you had even put in you know, the prep work and, and you'd sent to me, and it was, you used the word pre-qualifying sellers, uh, which we talked about, I, but I, you know, just that terminology in our industry means one thing to most. Pre-qualification, oh, that's a mortgage term. Yeah, right. that's a lender term. That's not that's not a real estate term. Um, but pre-qualifying sellers, you just pre-qualified buyers. That's what you're teaching our listeners right now is to pre-qualify buyers, which I think is which which is powerful. And and all of a sudden here, I think you're you're making me think because uh, I don't know if you know this about me, Aaron, but you know obviously I'm I'm in the well I'm, I'm in the real estate space, but I've I've shifted to teaching social media, teaching video, teaching these things, and it's the exact same conversations. You know, it's, 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 it, everything is very, very par parallel to what you're talking about here. And, and what I'm hearing you say as someone who's had a lot of success in this industry is, man, we are going to have some serious attrition. And, and, but, but here's what I think. And I want our listeners to think that too, because if you're listening to this, you're already a step ahead in my opinion, you're, you're taking the time to educate yourself, to learn. You have a shit ton of opportunity because your competition sucks. There's 2 million plus of you out there and, and what, 75, 80% of them suck. Yeah. It won't take any time to do what the Aaron's of the world are teaching. And so Aaron, you know, as we, as we get closer to, to having to wrap up, what's, what's a piece, some piece of advice that you have for some real estate agents listening to this saying, damn, okay, I want to be in that whatever percentage I'm making crap up. I didn't even get this from anywhere, but I just think that's what it is where really, where should I go? You mentioned spending six days a week role-playing, for example, how long should someone do that? And what are two or three other skills that they need to pick up and focus on over the next, you know, you got seven months left in this year to yeah. really go hard as, as we lean into probably a lean year, which is going to be 2023. Yeah. And to that point, you know, I think that if a marketplace contracts 20%, that means you need to be 30% better to grow. And the question I would ask myself as an agent and being honest, because I find that the people who produce the most outsized outcomes in life, they're the most self-aware. They're very, very clear on what's true and what's not, right? So ask yourself a question over the last 12 months, has your growth been because of the market or because of you? And that's an interesting question to ask, right? So um, as far as like skills are concerned, yeah, 30 minutes in each role play session is, is what I did. So two role play sessions, that's an hour a day. And then what I did is I chanted scripts on top of it, which took another 30 minutes. So an hour and a half a day. Explain that. Yeah. So that's standing in a room and being like, hi, Jeff, my name is Aaron, local real estate agent. I'm sure you figured out by now your home came off the market recently as an expired listing. I was calling you to see when do you plan on interviewing the right agent for the job helping you. So like just as fast as I could, because what I'm aware of is that Repetition is the mother of learning and the father of action, which makes it the architect of accomplishment. Like what I'm preparing for is a five minute conversation that could be worth 20,000 bucks, but I stay ready. So I don't have to get ready. I think a lot of people right now are caught because they're not ready. Yeah. So what I tell people is look, dude, I stay ready 24, seven, seven days a week. So I don't have to like worry about getting ready. It's easier to keep my commitments hundred percent of the time than it is 90% of the time. Right? So yeah, role-playing, um, chanting well, and, and, and specifically role-playing with high level people. Yes. So what people have a tendency to do is they, they play down. So they play with people that are either at their level or below because it makes themselves feel better. Yeah. And I've noticed not only in myself and my own kind of evolution and journey as a human and in business, because I do believe that business is not a material adventure. I think it's a spiritual one where we're like evolving as people so we can serve more and help more people and pour more out. At first it's selfishly motivated and then it becomes about serving others. Uh, but I've noticed that, you know, the tendency for people is that they're really not comfort, comfortable with being uncomfortable. Yeah. At the same time, that's the only place that growth happens. So it's like intentionally and purposely seeking out people. The other thing that's true, 
what comes up for me, Jeff, and I know you know that this is true, is there's a lot of people in our game that are entirely full of shit. <laughs> like totally. Like, you know, it looks cool on Instagram, but like they've never actually done it. Like I find it amazing that there's coaches in this game that have never sold a single piece of real estate in their life. They put people like me on stage, DJ the information to the crowd and be like, ah, isn't that good? Yeah. It's like, well, dude, I'm good speakers. Well, and they're good marketers. So it's like, but I'm aware, like you want to find somebody that has the particular skill set that you want. They're believable, meaning they've produced an outcome consistently over an extended period of time, not once, but year after year after year after year. And then when you ask them how they did it, they can give you clear, concise answers. Yeah not like some complicated thing. So I would get proximity to somebody who knows, right? I would also really get like focused on skills uh, around uh, prospecting for opportunities, whether they be buyers or sellers, setting appointments, pre-qualifying those appointments so I can make sure I'm spending attention on eight, nines, and tens, handling objections, closing. And then if the property doesn't sell, if you're on the list side, helping people to self-discover that they have to adjust the price. Like these are the skills that you need to master. And like Warren Buffett says, and this is why I can be, you know, kind of unconcerned about it. He says that, look, when the, when the tide goes out, you can see who's wearing pants or not. Hmm. And he also says that if you're the absolute best at what you do from a skill perspective, you're always going to be in demand. Always. The best coaches are always in demand. The best agents are always in demand. The best doctors are always in demand. So I don't get more by simply wanting more. I get more by becoming more. And I think that this is an opportunity to become more. Yeah. I think people see this as like a problem. Like, oh, I wish it was like, no, you systems get stronger when they're stressed. Your body, your nervous system, your, your, you know, ability to ward off disease, right? Is it happens by getting sick. We build our muscles up by tearing them down. Like systems are made stronger by stress. And all this is, is a stress test. So this is an opportunity to, again, just make yourself stronger physically, mentally, spiritually, and emotionally. But, you know, if you take your skills and you, you say, hey, I'm going to have a specific plan. I'm going to get proximity to somebody who knows. I'm going to let them teach me. I know for sure that if you dedicate the next, you know, 24 to 36 months of your life, you will come out of the other end with an unshakable level of confidence. And what that word confidence means, it's interesting, Jeff, because when I ask people what it means, they give me like these really interesting answers. Like, oh, you know what you're doing. Or like, oftentimes it gets a male connotation, like puffery or like a little egotistical. But that, what that word actually means is if we look to the Latin derivative, the Spanish word for confidence is confianza. And what that actually means is to trust. But it's like, mm. who are you trusting? Mm. Myself. Oh, yeah. So when you see somebody that's confident, what you're really saying is they trust themselves a lot. So how do you trust yourself in selling situations? You do it at nauseum. I had somebody, I had a TikTok video of me set an appointment. And a lot of people watched it. And somebody DM'd me. He was like, hey, bro, for us in the back, like, how did you get that way? I'm like, a nauseating, disgusting amount of practice. Yeah. yeah. How, how did Michael Jordan make so many shots? Why does Michael Phelps swim so fast? Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You can go on and on and on. Dude, this has been great, man. Not, not only, I think, are you dropping just massively awesome nuggets. You've given me, like, as a social guy, like 12 12 quotes to tweet. I, I love it, man. Um, I know a lot of it's probably just, it, it, some of it's probably regurgitated, but I still love it. So I appreciate that. How can people get a hold of you, dude? I mean, I love what you said about the coaching. You know, obviously, Aaron dropped a lot of nuggets today. You need to go back to listen to this. You need to probably really sit back, look in the mirror, and figure out who you're surrounding yourself with. I've thought about that a couple times as you were talking. You are the sum of, you know, the saying, right? Uh, but most of you suck at finding the right people uh, because you're doing what Aaron just said. You're surrounding yourself with people that are at or beneath you because it makes you feel better. Well, you're never going to grow if you keep doing that. I love what you said about coaching. Like, take a look in the mirror uh, at, 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 and understand and study your coach. Is your coach actually done what they're telling you that, that you should be doing? Like, that means a lot. I love that. Aaron, how can people get a hold of you? How can they find you? How can they follow you? How can they connect with you? Give it to me. Yeah, I appreciate it. So there's two major places where they can find me at Aaron Novello on Instagram, right? Simple at Aaron Novello. If they want to, you know, uh, participate or be a part of the ecosystem in my, in my link tree, there's all different ways to kind of, you know, engage 
and to participate in some way, shape, or form. The other place is on TikTok at Aaron Novello. And they're, you know, dropping, you know, knowledge. I'm videotaping myself set appointments so people can see what that looks like in live. And you're know, just trying to add value because again, my intention is, Jeff, is I went from being a finite player. A finite player is somebody who is just looking at their business to benefit themselves. And I went from being a finite player to being an infinite player. And infinite games, they have no set of agreed upon rules. They have no time frame. And the purpose of the game is just to keep playing. So my, I feel like my goal and objective now is to equip other players to play because I'm aware that this game is going to be being played long after me and you are done doing it. Yeah. And I just want to equip as many people as I can so it can benefit their life as much as it's helped mine. Last question. So first of all, I love that TikTok thing. I'm going to go check that out because I think that's, that's powerful, the whole role play. Also, you're speaking my language. Uh, but if somebody said, hey, I heard you coach and I want to learn more about that, we're going to learn more about that. Yeah. So if they're interested in that, they can uh, go to our website, which is www.aaronnovello.com. So www.aaronnovello.com. So it's easy. You find him by typing in his name pretty much in every platform, including the World Wide Web. I love it. Aaron, this has been a pleasure, dude. It's been great to get to connect. The next time I'm in Southeast Florida, I need to look you up. I need to... Uh, hang out at some point. Um, I, I appreciate your time today, man. I'm really glad Tristan connected us. I see why this has been, this has been fantastic. I really appreciate you, man. Awesome, brother. I appreciate you. I appreciate the opportunity to uh, share, you know, with your platform. Today's episode is brought to you by ZBuyer and ZBuyer offers an unparalleled home buyer and seller lead generation service. It's made by realtors for realtors, which is kind of the cool thing. Since 2003, ZBuyer has been continually perfecting state-of-the-art lead generation pathways. In fact, I've been using them since 2009. And ZBuyer brings motivated home buyers and sellers to you virtually. Visit zbuyer.com forward slash LCA to see how ZBuyer can help you close more deals in 2022. Podcasts.